So yeah, the title of today's message is Rearranging or Rearrange for Change. Uh, I purposely stayed away from using the word resolutions because the number one word that's synonymous, I can never say that word. Synonymous. Synonymous with. The number one word associated with resolutions is failure. To fail. So I'm going to stay away from the word resolutions. We're going to rearrange for change, okay? I truly believe in failing forward, though. I really do. From learning from your mistakes, I I think, you know... Never mind, but uh, or even learning from other people's mistakes, you know, I'm good with that too. Hey, you walk that way and you fell in that hole, I'm just not going to walk that way. If there's a way to plan a way around failure and yet still progress into new territory, you know, count me in, I'm there, right? When you like that? So what I did is I started researching and how can we plan around failure, right? Like I said, I'm okay with failing forward, but if I can skip that failing part altogether, I'm good. And that's what this message is all about. It's about rearranging for change, planning to succeed. And while studying this idea of planning a way around failure, I came across this article by Psychology Today. And I don't always, I mean, let's, I'll just tell you, I don't always believe with psychology. You know, it's not always your mother's fault, I'm sorry to tell you, even though some of them, well, hello, you guys know my mother. (laughs) Anyway, but when I read this article, the spiritual truths popped out. It's like, I believe somebody on this, you know, board that put this article article together was a Christian. So listen closely. The article is called Why New Year's Resolutions Fail. The start of the new year is often the perfect time to turn a new page in your life, which is why so many people make New Year's resolutions. But why do so many resolutions fail? Researchers have looked at success rates of people's resolutions. The first two weeks usually go along beautifully, but by February, people are backsliding. And by the following December, most people are back where they started, often even further behind than when they started. So why do so many people not keep their resolutions? Are people just weak-willed or lazy? According to researcher John Norcross and his colleagues who published their findings in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, approximately 50% of the population's population makes New Year's resolutions. Among the top resolutions are weight loss, <laughs> exercise, stopping smoking, better money management, and debt reduction. Timothy Cycle, a professor of psychology at Carleton University in Canada, says that resolutions are a form of cultural procrastination, an effort to reinvent oneself. People make resolutions as a way of motivating themselves, he says. Cycle argues that people aren't ready to change their habits 
especially bad habits, and that accounts for the high failure rate. Another reason, says Dr. Ava Sharma of the Canadian Obesity Network, is that people set unrealistic goals and expectations in their resolutions. Psychology professor Peter Herman and his colleagues have identified what they call the false hope syndrome, which means their resolution is significantly unrealistic and out of alignment with their internal view of themselves. When you make positive affirmations about yourself that you don't really believe, the positive affirmations not only don't work, they can be damaging to your self-esteem. Many resolutions work Many resolutions work is essentially changing behaviors, and in order to do that, you have to change your thinking and rewire your brain. Brain scientists and psychotherapists have discovered through the use of MRIs that habitual behavior is created by thinking patterns that create neural pathways and memories which become the default basis for your behavior when you're faced with a choice or a decision. Trying to change that default thinking by not trying to do it, in effect, just strengthens it. Change requires creating new neural pathways from new thinking. Come on. Doesn't that sound biblical? And then they go on to say, so if you're going to make New Year's resolutions, here's some tips to help you make them work. And I'll just throw them out there for you because, well, you need them. Number one, focus on one resolution at a time rather than several. Don't we all have that list we need to work on? Number two, set realistic, specific goals. Losing weight is not a specific goal. Losing 10 pounds in 90 days is a specific goal. Number three, don't wait till New Year's Eve to make resolutions. Make it a year-long process. Got one down? Start another. Number four, take small steps. Many people quit because the goal is just too big, requiring too big a step all at once. Number five, have an accountability buddy. Someone you have to check in with, report to, someone close to you. Number six, celebrate your success between milestones. Don't wait till the goal is completed. Celebrate. Number seven, focus your thinking on new behaviors and thought patterns. You have to create those new neural pathways in your brain to change bad habits. Number eight, focus on the present. What's the one thing you can do today, right now, towards your goal? Number nine, be mindful. Become physically, emotionally, and mentally aware. Live in the present rather than living in the past or in the future. And finally, number 10, don't take yourself so seriously. Why so serious? Sorry, Batman reference. Have fun and laugh at yourself even when you slip. But don't let the slip hold you back from working at your goal. 
I mean, I have to admit, during this fast, right before we went into this week-long fast, I reread the book, The Jesus Fast. That guy is hilarious because he tells on himself throughout the whole book. I mean, he is like, he feels like he has the mantle for fasting, basically. And that man does. But he talks about, I mean, he just tells on himself. He's like, I was, you know, into this fast and I'm doing great. And he said, and then all I could think about was marshmallows and crackers. So I went and ate them. (laughs) (laughs) Then he tells about at church, I don't know if it was that night or that coming Sunday, Because he's like, "Hmm, oh well, you know, and then he just pretended like he never even did it. A woman came up to him and said, I had a dream about you last night. Oh, so it was the next day, last night. He says, oh yeah, really? He's like, oh yeah, God knows right where I am and, you know, going to speak to me right where I am. She goes, yeah, but in the dream, all I saw was you eating marshmallows and crackers. (laughs) And he said, oh crap knows where I am and he knows what I'm doing (laughs) I love it don't take it so seriously when you slip up don't go I'm a failure I'm all done just keep going laugh at yourself once in a while I mean God's right there you can't hide it from him sorry that was just a side note but I mean come on you heard that article doesn't that sound like a Christian wrote that oh my goodness I mean just here's Here's some of those factors. Uh, research states these factors and failing. Three things that really stuck out to me. People aren't ready to change. Why do they fail? They're not ready to change. Number two, people set unrealistic goals and expectations. And the third thing, people don't really believe they can change. And some excellent tips out of this article. I love it. How many times have you heard us say that? Change the way you think. But now you know scientifically why. You have neural pathways in your brain that you can't just not think about that bad thing anymore. You have to create because actually it says when you try to, oh yeah, don't think about that. Oh yeah, don't think about that. Everybody, nobody think about pink elephants in the room right now. Oh, you're all thinking about pink elephants in the room right now. You see? You have to create new neural pathways in your brain by focusing your attention when it goes to that bad thing to think about something else. That's why we can't just grab a hold of those vain imaginations or those wrong thinkings, but we have to think on good things. Where have you heard that before? You know, think on these things. You have to train your brain. Change the way you think. Replace those bad things with good things. They said set realistic, specific goals. Plan what steps you'll take. What's the one thing you can do today, right now, towards your goal? And the third thing, third excellent tip from this article is be mindful. They said become physically, emotionally, and mentally aware. Live in the present, not in the past, and not in the future. And we're going to talk about that. So what I want to share with you are practical ways you can rearrange for change in your spiritual life, and you can also apply to your physical life, and they are prepare, take risk, and work. Prepare, take risk, and work. And these are all laid out by Jesus in Matthew 25. So we're going to look at this. Two of them are parables, and then the third one, all chapter 25, is an actual 
event that will take place. It's not a parable. So the first parable we're going to look at is the parable of the ten virgins. That teaches us to prepare. Then the parable of the talents, that teaches us to take risk. And then the actual account of what will happen is called the sheep and the goats. So I'm going to try to. I'm talking as fast as I can. and I'm Because <laughs> there's so much here, really, that I want to make sure I get through it. But let's read Matthew chapter 1, or Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 1. It says, at that time, remember, don't just read things. At what time? It says at that time. So you actually have to go back and say, what, what time is he talking about? Well, right before he was, he was talking about the signs of the end of the age, the day and the hour unknown. And then he says at that time. So that time, it's the days before the Lord returns. So in the days before the Lord returns, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all become drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang, rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. I like that. You can't have mine, 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 mine. Buy some for yourself. Verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they replied. They said, open the door for us. And he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. The foolish ones were called foolish because they didn't bring any extra oil. They didn't prepare. The foolish ones said, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, the wise one said. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go buy some for yourself. Matthew Henry's commentary on this scripture, on this parable, says the foolish ones have a lamp of profession in their hands. These were Christians. Christians. They had a lamp of profession in their hands, but they weren't prepared. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're prepared for the bridegroom. You might be holding on to a lamp of profession. You might say, well, I'm a Christian. Isn't that all that matters? You're not prepared. He goes on to say, but they have not in their hearts that oil of power, of sound knowledge, rooted disposition, and settled resolutions, which is necessary to carry them through the services and trials of our mission here on earth. What are you preparing for? Don't lose sight of what's most important. Jesus is coming back. The bridegroom is coming. 
Why do you still have breath in your lungs if you're a Christian? It's because you still have a job to do. And it has nothing to do with the economic status of this earth's system. Nothing. Nothing. Has nothing to do with you gaining more stuff. It has nothing to do with you getting a new title under your name. It has nothing to do with the economic status of this earth as we know it. Nothing. What are you preparing for? The world is not our home. As brides waiting for the bridegroom to come take her away, don't forget this day is coming. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will all stand before God. And have to give an account. What are you preparing for? Prepare. What are you preparing for? Preparing requires plans. And that's what we're talking about. This article says people fail. They're not because they're not ready to change. People aren't ready to change their habits. Particularly bad habits. And that accounts for the high failure rate. In order to get ready... You need to count the cost. There are things you will have to rearrange in your life. Plan for them. Don't just think because you heard a good message today that you're going to magically wake up in the morning and have everything uh, put into order for you. You have to prepare. You have to make plans. You have to go buy some oil for yourself. The other reason people fail is that people set unrealistic goals and expectations in their resolutions. When you're making plans, make, I don't want to say easy plans, but simple, realistic steps. Specific goals. Plan what small steps you can take. What's the one thing you can do today, right now, toward preparing for Jesus coming back? Don't jump into a a three-chapter-a-day Bible reading plan if you've never read before. Or a half an hour, three times a day prayer plan if you've never really spent time in prayer before. Those are unrealistic goals. Unless Jesus comes and fills you in and lays you down and that's good. But what will happen if you're human like I am... When I jumped into the three chapter, I'm just going, I am a go-getter. I'm just, especially the first of the year, right? That Bible, Mick Cheney Bible reading plan throws up. Come on, don't you want to start? Yes, I'm doing this. Day one's good. Day two, I got three. Day four, I'm like, oh no, crap. I can't go to sleep yet. I got to hurry up and read, right? Day four is like, where did day four go? Day five is like, Crap, now I got six chapters to read, right? Because you can't, you got to check that box. You can't skip over that box. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm so far behind, forget it. Delete this plan, right? On your version app. Come on, you've done that. 
Especially when you see that little ribbon that comes up saying, yeah, you're on track. But then when it says, oh, sorry, you're like, oh, delete that plan then. Take realistic steps. What can you do? If you've never read on a daily basis, start with a couple verses. Start with a proverb of the day. You know, that's simple. What day is it today? The 14th. I'll read Proverbs 14. Pretty simple. If you get halfway through it and, and think, I need to read that again. I started thinking about my grocery list and forgot where I Read it again. It's not about checking a box. It's about taking steps that you can continue to build upon. Don't procrastinate. Don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today. Sounds like grandma's advice, doesn't it? And plans, preparing, when you're talking about preparing, what are you preparing for? And plans, you have to create plans in order to prepare. Is plans reveal priority, right? Your plans reveal your priority. Don't fall into the lie that you don't have enough time. The fact is, you do. You do. What do you keep saying, Pastor Neil? What is that? How many minutes? 86,400 seconds in every day, and they're all a gift. They're all a gift, and everybody has the same amount. The real problem is, what gets the priority of your time? And I've showed you these slides before, well, at least the one slide, that there's the average 24-hour day of an American, going from where you spend your most time down to your least amount of time. And instead of reading everything, let me just show you, don't we wish we had 8.88 hours of sleep every night for some of Yeah. <laughs> Uh, leisure and sports, working, household, eating and drinking, personal care, you know, blah, blah, blah. Personal care should probably be above eating and drinking. But anyway, then all the way down at the bottom, the last line on the list is religious and spiritual activities get 15 minutes a day. Point one. I'm sorry, that's right. Point one five. Thank you. Good catch there. Which is below the unable to classify activities, which gets 0.26. You spend twice as much time doing things you can't even identify than you do on spiritual and religious activities. I've showed you this one before, and it hasn't changed yet because I checked the statistics too. But what was alarming is the next slide. Here's a 2017, the average time spent per day with major media by adults in 2017. Look at that. The total per day, 12 hours and 7 minutes. And let me just tell you, well, how do they know that? They know. They know. They know. Let me just tell you, they know. (laughs) But what I want to see, see that digital Digital. Boom. Five hours a day. Digital. The next slide breaks down those five hours. (laughs) 92% is just app related. Half of that time is Facebook, Snapchat, messaging, YouTube, music, media. Half that. 
And you know, then you go through there, gaming, utility, lifestyle, productivity, news, weather, sport, other, 8%, browsing, 8%. Uh, somewhere in there might be you version, Bible app, right? Realistically, 8%, somewhere in there, about the same amount of time as you just browse. Oh, I can't say that or else Siri will came on, come on, but that's about it. Hey, Siri, what do, don't you ask those stupid questions to Siri? That's the browsing. Just asking stupid things. It's about as much time as you spent with the version app. Anyway, so it's not don't you don't have enough time. It's where does your priorities lie? Lie in planning. Planning. It will show your priority. You notice on that one slide, it showed you spent what, what was it? Four hours. TV. For TV. So come on. Are you think? Are there things in your life that needs to be rearranged? You need to start preparing, making plans. Plan now. Second thing is the second parable here of the the talents. It teaches us to take risks. Let's read that together. Again, it. What's it? The days before the Lord returns. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So, you knew that I, was, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then... You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Or at least I would have received it back with interest. And then verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch. Three stewards. One was called worthless and was thrown outside. Why? Because he didn't take a risk. Right? I mean, I was talking this over with my parents. I said, you know, I've read this a thousand, thousand times. But to really sit and think about it, that these servants, stewards, were given of their master's money. Given, he's like, here. One talent is one, I think it said $1,000. So for the one was given $5,000. And he said, what? Nothing. It's not recorded. He didn't say, now this is what you need to go do with that. He entrusted it to them. It said the first two ran off immediately, or suddenly, right Amy? Suddenly. They went out immediately and put the money to Now you got to think about it. That's taking a risk. Because whose money was it? Mm. And he coming back to settle accounts. But they had to take the risk. They had been given something by their master and trusted with something. And he said, now go, right? I'll be back. What are you going to do with what I've given you? They had to take the risk. And it doesn't even record, but I mean, could you imagine? What if, you know, the first one went out there and, okay, I got 5000 Okay, $100, I'm going to buy, you know, five scarves for $10, you know, whatever. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to try to sell them $20 each and see if I can double the money this way. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, the fat is gone. Nobody wears scarves anymore. Oh, crap. What am I going to do with those scarves? Uh, okay, what if I, you know, rip them in half? He had to take some risks, right? He, he didn't have the Midas touch. He didn't go out there and everything turned to gold. He had to put the money to work. He had to take the risks. And the first two did. They took the risk. The third one was called worthless, lazy, and was thrown outside because why? He took what was entrusted to him and he buried it. Said I knew you'd be back, so I'm just going to give you what you gave. Now, where's the logic in that? Just burying what you've been entrusted with, so I could give it back to you. Well, then why did he give it to you in the first place? If all you were going to do is say, "Here I am." Now, let me go out on a limb and say this: Your life is a talent. When he breathed life into you, it, the it says even in your mother's womb before you even took your first breath, he had all your days laid out for you. He had a plan for your life. He entrusted you with it. So if you just live your life on your own and you come to the end of your days and the master comes back to settle accounts with you and you say, well, here I am. Here's what you gave me. Worthless, lazy servant. Where's the risk? 
Now, let me explain. There's a cautious line here that we need to balance. If we only do what we know we can do, there's no faith and no need for God in that. Likewise, if we take foolish risks, where's God's wisdom in that? There is a cautious line that you need to balance. Don't do just what you can do on your own. But also don't get so foolish and take such foolish risks that you're not seeking God's wisdom first. It's one of the things on the top of our prayer list right now is, God, you said you've given us creative ways. You've given us, sorry, now I'm jumping ahead. You've given us the ability to make wealth. God, give us creative ideas on how to put your money to work. That's wisdom. I'm going to have to fast forward here. Change the way you think. So in order to take risk, you need to change the way you think. Because remember, they talked about the neural pathways. You can't just think about what you shouldn't do. You've got to think about you know, what you should be doing. Change the way you're thinking replaces the negative with the positive, replaces the lie with the truth. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with take risk? Because if you don't believe you can, you never will. They cited that as one of the reasons for failure, is that you don't really believe you can change. You have to change the way you think. Stop believing the lies that the enemy keeps throwing on you. Well, you've always been like that. Others might be able to change, but you can't. This is how God wants me. He wants me poor. He wants me miserable. He wants me hurting. He wants me in pain. That's a lie. Could you imagine your heavenly father, or you as a father or a mother, telling your child, I want you poor. I want you miserable. I want you in pain. No, that's a lie. You need to replace the lie with truth. Stop believing the lie. Start thinking about the truth. Fill your mind with the truth. Change the way you're thinking. Change the way you think so you can step out with God to take the necessary risk to produce real change. And also, remember, you have been given something. Stop focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on what you do have. So you don't have five. You don't have two. Maybe you're the one with the one. Maybe you're not the one with the one. Maybe you're the one with the five. And you're thinking, well, when I have ten, then I will. Stop focusing or waiting until you have before you do. Lots of people claim that if they just get that big money, then they'll be generous. If you aren't generous now, you certainly won't be generous later. A greedy person or selfish person over a little will be the same greedy, selfish person over a lot. So stop waiting for what you don't have. Start taking risk with what you have been given. No matter where it is, five, two, or one. And it's been given to you according to whose ability? Your ability. He will never put anything on you That he knows you can't do. Alone? No. With him. 
Again, Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember the Lord your God, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Why? Just so you can step back in the lap of luxury? No, because you have a mission to do and you need the resources to be able to do it. Stop thinking me-centered. Stop thinking selfishly. Stop thinking about the things of this earth that mean, really, nothing. What are you preparing for? Remember, keep your focus. What are you preparing for? And take risk. And don't ever forget that you are a steward and not a master. You are a steward. Of whose resources? God's resources. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. That's Psalms 24, 1 and 2. Everything is the Lord's. We are stewards. He has entrusted to us. What? Some five, some two, some one. And what will you do with it? Don't be foolish in your use of the master's possessions. Ask him for wisdom in putting his resources to work in order to produce an abundance to aid you in your mission while here on earth. In verse 19, it says again in the second parable, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. He's telling you, I'm coming back. And that's what, where we lead here into this third one. And remember, this third one is not a parable. This is an actual account of what will happen. Jesus, red letters, is saying this. The sheep and the goats. Verse 31. When, see? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and the nations all the nations sorry all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left see all those are statements that it will happen when he comes back this will happen Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37. Then the righteous, the sheep, will answer him. What? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? I mean, I'm sorry, but me, I'm just like, shut up, back into the shepherd, and you know, and don't, don't question. I'm here. I'm on the right, right? But they're like, what? When did we see you like that? Verse 40, the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, those goats, 
Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For, here he goes again, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not come look after me. And then they ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This will happen. Not a parable. All the nations will be gathered before him and separated the sheep and the goats. The sheep because they did, and the goats because they did not. The third one, work. (laughs) Do what you have been called, commanded to do. Work. And the goats will answer, when did we see you? Blah, 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 blah. And he tells you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Think about it. After Jesus sacrificed his life to redeem the fallen world back into a right relationship with God, God's patience keeps this clock ticking because his heart is that none would perish. 2 Peter 3.9 He keeps waiting and waiting and holding back time, waiting so that none would perish. What's he waiting? For you to do your job. Because he entrusted you to do his mission. Once we become a Christ follower, we are here to do a job. The Great Commission is to reach, teach, and heal. Don't lose sight of this. Everything else is a means to the end. Your job is to resource your mission. Your family is missionaries. Right? Your children are entrusted to you to raise up, to be missionaries. Oh, to Africa? No, to the school. To their friends, wherever. To the gas station attendant, wherever. Everything you do is a means to the end. Don't lose sight of this. Work. He's saying right here, he gave you two parables. Prepare, take risks, and work. You have a job to do. I like that this article even reminded us, don't dwell on the past. Oh, I can't do it because I have a horrible past. I mean, who's got, you know, Paul said I was the worst of all. He was a Christian killer. Did that stop him? I have a horrible past. I remember the mayor of Charlotte when he was priming me. I worked with him a lot. And, you know, he's like, Brenda, you you ever think of becoming the mayor? I'm like, oh, hello. I like that. Sorry, it's just human nature. I did. I'm like, yeah, Mayor Brenda. 
I said, yeah, I think I like that. He says, well, meet me tomorrow. And I came into his office the next day and started talking about, you know, and he can get me on this board. And then the, and after a year, then I would be moved up to this board. And so he started, you know, really preparing. We spent a couple hours in his office. I'm like, wow, this is really going to happen. He's like, yeah, you know, he was, he was a most beloved mayor. So I knew if he put his seal on me, I was going to be mayor. And then he looked at me. And he go, I said, is there anything that could hinder this process? He goes, no, not well. He said, unless you had like some skeletons in your closet. And I went, oh boy, back up. I said, I don't think this is going to work. He says, come on, bro. I know you. Well, he, he, me, but he didn't know that, Brenda. And he said, really? You have skeletons in your closet? I said, oh, honey, I. I think they're still moaning in that closet. I don't want anybody to open up that closet door. So he's like, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't. I said, yeah, I don't think we should. You know, yeah, I see that on the news today. It's like, look at, you know, this, you know, person 20 years ago did this, and this person 20 years ago. I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, don't let anybody do that to me. Be like, done now. I'm a life over. Yeah. Did you do that? Yes. Let's go on. Don't dwell in the past. You know, even if your past is earlier this morning, you screamed and yelled at your husband and yelled at your kids and, you know, threw up your arms and said, I'm done, I'm, you know, life's over. And then two minutes later, after you drank another cup of coffee, you're like, hey, life is good. <laughs> Don't dwell on the past. Don't let it stop you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. But also, don't wait on the future. If you're all sitting around the campfire singing kumbaya, come Lord, quickly. You know, here's some human nature in me. I'm always saying, please, Lord, if you can give us a little bit more time. You know, we went through this period in the church, and, you know, I don't hear it much around here, where they were constantly singing songs about, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm like, oh, Lord, if you can just wait a little bit longer. I got, I got, you know, I, I, I know I could, there's more stuff I could get done. And I have kids that still need to come to you, Jesus. So let's just be, and people I still love that I would like, and you know, and we're supposed to love everybody, but you know, I do love some a little bit more. <laughs> but don't sit there and wait on the future. If I can just hang on till Jesus comes, you know, that's burying that one talent. You worthless and lazy servant. Live in the now, live in the present. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Who's going to enter? Sheep. Why? Because they did what they were told to do. So as I'm closing, Amy, I'm wrapping up. Boy, I talked just as fast as I could because there was so much. But it was so good. I'm like, oh, what if I make this two-part? No, you got to hear all of it all together. I'm glad I got an extra iced coffee in my office. <laughs> Suck that down. So let's just look at this. Here's these three steps to rearrange for change for 2018. Think about this. Prepare take risk, and work. The parable of the ten virgins teaches us how to prepare. Prepare. Make 
plans, set realistic steps, and begin today. Don't just think because you're sitting beside somebody else who's got it all together as a Christian that somehow you're going to kind of be ushered in to the presence on their shirt tails. You're not. Just because you come to church on Sunday, you're not prepared for the Lord to return. And come on, you know that. You know that. I don't need to tell you. The parable of the talents teach us to take risks. Don't be foolish. Use God's wisdom. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. Believe you can. With God, you can do all things. He's given you what? Five, two, one. He's entrusted it to you. Use His wisdom. And three, work. The account of the sheep and the goats teach us to work. Work at doing what you are commanded, called to do. Reach, teach, heal. Because in the end, that's all that really matters. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. Why are you here? Yesterday. I mean, did you guys see that in the news yesterday? Hawaii was given that emergency. It hit every phone, every every cell phone. It was up on um, road overheads, you know, those digital road overheads. Ballistic missile happening, coming on its way. 38 minutes, Hawaii was in a panic that they were, a missile was heading their way. I watched the interview and this one guy, you know, she's the reporter's like, well, what did you do? He said, well, it woke him up at 8, I think it was 8.15 in the morning. He said, I looked at my phone and that was going off, ballistic missile hitting here, Hawaii. He said, I grabbed my wife, explained to her what was happening. We ran after our children. We, you know, started heading to the basement. He's like, I didn't even know. He said, and then I looked at my youngest child and he was still sleeping. He's like, well, if I only have 10 minutes left, I'm going to let him sleep. Imagine the terror that they went through. 38 minutes in terror before some, and that was all caused from somebody pushing the wrong button on their desk. And it took them 38 minutes to then release another one that says sorry false you know it's not real blah 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 and so the reporter started digging in well what did you do what did you feel what you know what has this taught you and he said number one it taught me that I'm not prepared and number two it taught me what's most important How appropriate for us as Christians. I mean, how long has God and His prophet, through His prophets and through pastors and preach, you know, 
and people prophetic words been crying we're in the last days we're in the last days any minute Jesus can come back any minute Prepare. are you ready are you ready are you ready what do you think he's been doing that for so you would prepare take the risk and work get busy what really matters let's just as we close right now in the parable of the ten virgins it said the call went out at midnight the bridegroom is here you just close your eyes and ask yourself if that cry was to ring out right now if you were to get that alert warning on your cell phone right now ballist, you know, ballistic missile heading this way what would you be thinking would be the most important thing be important to you boy I wish I could have made more money while I was here boy I wish I could have spent more time on the beach I always wanted to learn how to surf or if I could have just had one more drink with my friends That's not what's really important. When you're face to face with the end, that's not important. Those things aren't important. The master is coming back to settle accounts. So if those things don't chop your chart as the most important in your last minutes, why do you place so much importance on them now? You are in the last minutes. These are the last minutes before the bridegroom returns, before the master comes back. Are there things that you need to rearrange in your life? What are you waiting for? So would you just stand? I'm going to ask the... Actually, I'm, I'm going to ask... Is there any in here today that said, yeah, there's stuff I need to rearrange in my life? Let me see your hand. I understand in these last few minutes that I've been placing more importance on things instead of what's most important. I need to rearrange. That's what I thought. So instead of just asking a few to come up, before we come up together, if you're in here today and you've never made a commitment, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, be the leader and Lord, your Savior, and you want to do that today, I want to pray with you. So just so I can see your hand, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. So that you begin a new relationship with Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior.
Well, I'm going to ask us because there's a, a bunch of the prayer team even said also that they need to rearrange things. Let's just come up front in these last few minutes before those that have to run out to class, go to class. Um, the rest of us, if we're not in class, we have 45, 50 minutes so, you know, before the next service. And then we start with worship so you can continue to just pray here at the altars. Let's rearrange things. Come on. Let's rearrange things.